This is Addison.com. I am Abdugani Kadio Tukawe. Today I'll be talking to Dr. Insa Nolte of the University of Birmingham, the Department of African Studies. Hello. Hello. Thanks very much for coming. It's um, the Department of African Studies and Anthropology, I should say. All right. Thanks for that. In a way, that's why you've immersed yourself in the Yoruba yeah. culture. Yes, yes, I have. So I was very lucky when I lived and when I lived in Lagos, I think I already told you I had a room and a parlor and I lived mainly for myself. But when I lived in Remo, I asked various people whether I could have a room in their compounds, because when I did my research, there were no hotels outside of Shagam yet. I know now there are many hotels, but um, that was in the 90s. And so I was very lucky to be part of a normal family life in some of Remo's compounds in, uh, in some of the towns. And I found that I really enjoyed it because having I grew up in a large family. I'm the oldest of five and I also grew up in a small town. And so I was actually quite used to having lots of people around me. And then I found in a compound I was never lonely, even though I was a foreigner and uh, a stranger there was always somebody around to play with or to talk to and so I really enjoyed myself and I also found that people explained so many things to me so at the beginning some you know I always had to ask the ballet of the compound whether I could live there and then at the beginning the women would look at me in a very funny way you know who's this strange lady is she trying to do something and after some weeks they would now get used to me being there and I would try to help to do some things um, assist them in whatever small way I could and it was actually very often the women and especially the older ladies in a compound that could now explain so many things to me both for myself of how I should behave but also sometimes about the stories that some of the men had told me and they would give another very different uh, perspective on it so I felt that actually I had a very fantastic experience I got to hear the views of many different people men and women both so hopefully I got a little bit of an insight into what people really thought. So now you're more based in Oshun State. At, well, at the moment, I'm doing a collaborative research project together with a very good friend and colleague in Nigeria, uh, Professor Olukoya Ogen, who is based at uh, Ademi College of Education uh, in Ondu and who was previously based at Oshun State University. So I've collaborated with both these institutions, which have been very, very helpful. It's been a wonderful experience. And I've been a member of staff at both institutions, which has also allowed me to see the life of my Nigerian colleagues from close up and, of course, to visit other parts of southwest Nigeria. So what has your experience been like, I mean, teaching in Nigerian universities? It's been fantastic, actually. The one thing that I have found so impressive is how hard my colleagues work with lack of electricity, very often difficult internet connections, large, large student numbers, how hardworking many of them are and how much they care for their students and look after the students despite all those difficulties. I'm very sad that the links between British and Nigerian academics that were almost that were so natural in the 1960s and 70s seem to have become fewer and there seems to be much less collaboration. I really think that we are all the better for collaborating more closely with each other. So my own experience has been really fantastic. So I want to ask you the great conundrum right now in the in African studies, mm -hmm. the issue of um, 
Africanists and Afropolitans, mm -hmm. how would you place yourself? <laughs> I don't think I can claim to be an Afropolitan because I'm not African. <laughs> so I, I have to be um, a, a bystander. I am an Africanist. But I believe very strongly in um, collaborative research, in engaged research, and in the kind of research in which, or let me put it in another way, I don't think that it is healthy or useful if um, scholars working on Africa in the UK or in, other, in any other country outside of Africa produce knowledge all by themselves without talking to their colleagues, without collaborating with their colleagues, without checking with their colleagues um, in Africa. What kind of knowledge is that? So it's very important for us to have an ongoing dialogue and to work together and to know each other's experiences and worlds. Yeah, I noticed you mentioned that your academic secrecy article. Yes, I think it is unfortunate that there are, let's put, academic life in the UK focuses very strongly on outputs, on publications and on achieving certain goals. And collaboration and cooperation takes time, especially if it is across continents, across cultures, across institutions. And I think it would be a good thing if that was recognized, if the need, if the importance of collaboration was also recognized um, by UK universities. Um, and encouraged and, and validated and valued. I think um, an article that derives from collaboration, from cooperation, is likely to be more relevant and interesting than one just sort of produced quickly because of pressure of time. I think that goes for all academic work. Yeah, yeah and, and I think funding is another key issue in that area, isn't it? Yes, of course. I mean, until very recently, funding has been difficult. Um, of course, we don't know now what's going to happen with global challenges. It's very likely that a lot more people will do research on Africa and hopefully with African colleagues. And we just have to hope that it will also be properly collaborative and, um, and help to strengthen links between the UK and Africa again. Because when you talk about properly collaborated, I mean, I think in one of your articles you talked about um, agency and mm. which voice should kind of be more heard. Mm, I'm not sure what that was. <laughs> you, you talked about agency, about people as in perspectives, and then because sometimes the funding determines the direction of oh, the research. Oh, yes, I see what you mean. Yeah, that is true. So, yeah, that is... That is, I think it is another difficulty that one has to, that one has to navigate as a researcher. The kind of funding that appeals to funding agencies in, say, a European country like the UK may not always be exactly the kind of research that will be very interesting to people in Nigeria. And in fact, I experienced that myself. So when I suggested that it would be very interesting to do research on how Muslims and Christians get on in Nigeria, people in the UK felt that this would be a very good research project. And when I first talked to some of my colleagues in Nigeria, they said, eh, yes, now, you know, in Yoruba land in particular, yes, now we are all related. That's it. <laughs> I've answered your research question to you, for you. So it took some time to uh, work out what would be an interesting approach that would also really inspire my Nigerian colleagues to participate in, in this research. Uh, is that the Knowing Each Other yes. research? That is yeah. on knowingeachother.com? Yes, that is it. And then contextualized in Ede. 
Well, that is the first publication from um, this research. We did a pilot study um, of our research in, uh, in Ede, which was really a wonderful place and wonderful experience for me um, because I had not really spent much time in a, in a predominantly or in a very strongly, strongly Muslim town like Ede. And I, I really learned a lot. And um, we were surprised at realizing that uh, even despite the fact that the town had such a strong uh, Muslim history, the main proverb that people kept repeating to us was Ede Yarakoni. Ede is one room. Ede Yarakoni. Yarakoni, yes. Then somebody said to us that we should do more than just do research there, that we should actually have a conference and invite people to contribute to this theme of how members of different religions were managing in this particular context in Ede. And we did. And after some years, we worked on all the contributions. Um, it became an edited volume that's just been published with uh, James Curry. And uh, it's published under the title Beyond Religious Tolerance, Muslim, Christian and Traditionalist Encounters in an African Town. Most of the contributors are Nigerians, and some of them were even our team members. So we are really very happy um, to have brought everything together. So on a lighter note, mm -hmm. what is your favorite Nigerian or Yoruba food? It is Amala. Amala. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> Amala. Amala, yes. And, uh, Ewedu. Ewedu, yes. Uh, yeah, because when I was looking at your Twitter page, I saw Eba, which is um, yes, cassava pudding yes. and uh, a melon seed yes. soup. So I was thinking, could that be your favorite? No, I also really like Eba. And uh, in uh, Remo, I ate a lot of Eba. So for a while, it was my favorite food. But... Um, I have really come to love Amala. And actually, there's also, um, now that I've spent more time in the, um, in the coastal area, there's also um, a dish that I really, really like. And I don't think many Yoruba people know it. And it is um, pounded yam and, uh, uh, is it irosum or bedudu? A very black soup. Uh, that is very delicious. All right, interesting. I'm very sure everybody knows pounded yam. <laughs> <laughs> Although mostly with egusi soup, which mm -hmm. is melon seed soup, really. And apart from the food, what other part of Yoruba culture have you been interested in and you've explored or found fascinating? I can't really say that there's anything that I don't find fascinating. The thing that I found most interesting when I first came to Nigeria myself was the realization that I don't have to live my life exactly the way my parents told me to live it because I could see some examples of how people were doing it differently. And I just decided that uh, I would stay among those people in Nigeria. I would learn all the best things from them and I would incorporate all the best bits of their lives into my own life. And I have tried and I really believe that my life is so much happier for having visited Nigeria and for having been able to learn from Yoruba culture. So one of the things that my children all have a Yoruba name. And when you hear their names, you will also know that some people's prayers have worked for me. So I have uh, my oldest is Omomi. And then I have uh, Taiwo and Kende. They're twins. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I believe when I got married, a lot of people told me that oh, I will pray for you. You will have twins. And it came true. So I'm very grateful. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so you have a mom with me. Yes. Taiwan, Kaini. I mean, 
the Thai and Kanye, we all know they are twins. Oma Wumi, that means, do you, you want more kids then? Ah, well, no, that was the first one. So, <laughs> but at the time, yes, yeah, since she was the first one. <laughs> all right, that's, that's interesting. And do they find it interesting having names like that now? Um, they found it very lovely when they were little. At the moment, they are more embarrassed about it when I call them like that or when we have any Nigerian visitors, they get very shy. But I'm sure that as they grow older, they will appreciate it because they will understand uh, how important it is for them to be linked to Yoruba culture. I don't think that Yoruba should just keep Yoruba culture to themselves. I think we should all have part of it. So if you are to do it all over again, how would you do it? <laughs> or if you are to start all over again? Well, I would still hope that uh, instead of going to Brazil, I will be sent to Nigeria. <laughs> so. Thanks a lot. Thanks for granting the interview. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, thanks for coming. Yeah. This is an Edge Sums production. You can listen to our podcasts on educational issues that relate to Nigeria on edusons.com.ng or on Mixcloud by searching for Edisons NG or follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram at Edisons NG. Thank you.